Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and I'm also the host for the Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. The Cashflow Show, in association with PRMS. Hello and welcome to The Cashflow Show in association with PRMS Limited. I am your host, Clayton M. Coke. And if this is your first time, I should say that The Cashflow Show is the radio show disguised as a podcast. During every episode, we will be talking to a business owner, an entrepreneur, and hearing the tales of the origins of their business, their successes and failures, and their future in the business world. But that's not all. They say all work and no play makes Jack or Jill pretty dull. So we ask our guests to pick a book, a film, an album or single in order to get to know their tastes and what they enjoy in their spare time. So if that works for you, welcome to the Cashflow Show. Well, here is our first, our premiere, our maiden voyage episode. And we're delighted to have the wonderful Lisa Newton. Hi, my name is Lisa Newton. I am an entrepreneur, an author and a marketeer. Excellent, excellent. And what's your main business? Main business is a bookkeeping service called Boogles Bookkeeping Limited. What we do is we help small, busy individuals, business owners, self-employed people to get on top of their books, get to grips with the numbers and make sure that they are filing their returns on time, doing their books, understanding what's going on in their business. Is this your first business? It's it, it's not my first business. I'd say actually my first business was when I was 13 at school. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to sell bubbles to the, my friends and then to the staff. And then my mum at the time used to work in a lingerie factory and they used to have what's called cast-offs. So say you, you do a run for a, a company and there's like two or three pieces left over they would sell them for 25p to the to their to the, to the machinists okay and so i once did a like a, a summer not even a summer it was it was easter like two weeks working there like work experience and i didn't know they had this sale and then when the sale went on and it was for 25p i just bought up loads of stuff because the others were so used to it that the ladies there didn't really you know if it wasn't their size and it wasn't for them they didn't bother with it but i don't i don't know I maybe spent like five pounds or something like that bought a whole load of stuff up and then went to school the next day and sold the 25p for like three pound fifty and i i just that it just started from there so ever since then it's, i've always been looking for something to buy and sell so really you've been displaying the classic entrepreneur behavior from a very very early age yeah but, but I wouldn't have, at the time, it was just, ah, oh, there is an opportunity, 25p, and it was good quality underwear, you know, this this was lingerie, this was knicker and bra sets, really good stuff, so, you know, I just thought, yeah, and I, go, I went, used to go to an all-girls school, so lots of girls there, and yeah, that's how it all began. So do you feel that to a certain extent you saw an opportunity in terms of business and really just ran with it? 
Yeah, but I wouldn't even have called it business. I'd have just, I think more it was I saw an opportunity and I saw something that I liked and that I knew other people would like and that I knew I could sell. Mm. So, okay. Yeah. And how did you get from lingerie <laughs> <laughs> to bookkeeping? <laughs> well, I, they're not really um uh, they're, they're no, not really associated no, with each other. No, you're right. And I, I think one of the first challenge that I had at the time, I remember when I left school at 16, I remember thinking, "Oh, I haven't really got a a market to sell to now because you know, I'm not at the all girls school now, and also my mum didn't work at that factory anymore, so I also didn't have the supply. Uh-huh. So then I was like out of business, but I went to college. And one of the things my mum always said to me is, Oh, you know, Lisa, you should be an accountant because she clearly could see I just like counting money because I was just counting my money. So she said, Yeah, do that, you know, do do accounts, do do something along those lines because I know, you know, she could see that. So I thought, yeah, all right then, sounds pretty good. I quite like counting money, so that's what I'll do. So when I was at school, I did my A-levels because that was the dumb thing and that's what everyone else was doing. But I also, at the age of 16, started the AAT, which is the Association of Accounting Technicians. Okay. And in those days, they... I say those days because this was like... Don't want to date myself like 20. No, 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 don't expose yourself. Yeah. Don't expose yourself because, you know, yeah. this is an important thing about business is at the end of the day, how you look is as much about how you sell your product or your service. Yeah. So I don't want you to say, just say some time ago yeah. in a galaxy far away. Yeah, yeah. some time ago before everything was sort of like so computerised, I actually learned bookkeeping from a manual system. So this was literally what they'd call ledgers. And computerised systems were just coming in, but it was still, you know, when you did the exam, it was double entry bookkeeping. So this this was manual bookkeeping. So that's what I, I learned. And I remember being the youngest in the class and, you know, the teachers being, you know, nice to me, you know, because most of the people, they were on day release. It was a one day a week course, the A18. And it was, I started with level two, which was the equivalent to about a GCSE. So I really enjoyed what they, the whole course, because it was very practical. So alongside doing the A-levels, which was all theoretical and, you know, sociology, psychology, media studies, that kind of thing, this stuff was very practical. And I thought, okay. And I actually found that I quite enjoyed it. Fast forward maybe um, a year or two later, I was in my my parents' kitchen um, back in Nottingham, where I'm from, and I remember seeing, watching the Oprah Winfrey show and seeing Robert Kiyosaki, who was on the show. And he was talking, he was promoting his book at the time, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he was talking about how important it is to pay yourself first. And there were several things that I will never forget about him sitting on, on, the, on the couch with, with Oprah on that show. One of the things he says, pay yourself first. And another thing he said was, if you're going to learn how to do anything... Um, and you're going to study anything either study law because when the law changes the future changes <laughs> or s- learn how to read the numbers on a balance sheet know how to read the numbers and he said that your numbers is like a, a, a snapshot he can look at someone's numbers and just they he knows exactly where their money's going what their what their financial situation is immediately it's like your skeleton it's like an x-ray and I thought oh okay so that the good thing was I was doing accounts at the time so I thought right I'm on the right lines here balance sheet so I'm doing accounts so that's what I'm going to do so that's why 
part of the reason why I chose to go and do my degree in accounts and also following on from that to do my master's in investment management because he, Robert Kiyosaki, always talks about investing and knowing how to make your money work for you. And I thought, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to not work for money. I'm going to have my money work for me. And that's how like the journey began. I see. Let, let me ask another question, which is, is intriguing. You mentioned your, your mother previously and obviously her, um, uh, her job in the lingerie factory. Now, in terms of your business idea and your models, did you get that influence from any of your family? Were any of your family involved in business? Um, my mum, because, because she was a machinist, she would be able to mend people's clothes mm. for them. You know, if it's put your zips falling out, put your zip in, and someone might say, all right, that's a good job, you know, or can you design this, or pattern cutting, can you cut this out, and stitch things together. So um, she has always had an entrepreneurial flair, and my grandma, her mum, um, so I've always been around women who, you know, keep busy mm. and are of use and of service to others. So that was really quite important. And the funny thing was at college, I actually um, did a, such a long time ago, but I actually did a dressmaking course myself because initially I thought, oh, yeah, you know, I could then, you know, be making clothes and stuff like that. But then I kind of preferred the account side of things more than the um, the actual dressmaking mm. I think it's because it's a practical skill when you're a dressmaker and I, I just think I was I'm more of a the mental yeah. um kind of skill we're still bookkeeping it's still that kind of skill but just not so hands-on in a way if you know what I mean so you've gone from that stage of being in um an environment where you've got a flair or a taste of the entrepreneurial life when did the light bulb go on for you to say to yourself Right. Boogles. When did that flash of inspiration come to you? Well, it came a few weeks before my graduation ceremony because <laughs> I'd finished my master's and graduated um, from doing a, a, a master's degree in investment management. And I knew I'd be seeing my counterparts from that course again. And I thought, my gosh, I need to be able to represent myself here because a lot of them had gone on to go and work for big investment banks in the city of London so for example Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs or Lehman Brothers or you know people like that investment houses and I had after I'd finished the, the master's degree I'd been doing some more studying but more doing languages took a few acting courses I was just brushing up on what they call your soft skills mm. And I thought, gosh, when I see these people, I need to be able to say something, you know. So that that kind of inspired me to form uh, the limited company so that when I went there, I could say that I was a company director. So it was it was that that I thought, you know, and then I have my business cards and they'll say, oh, Lisa, so how's it going? What are you doing with yourself? And I'll be like, yeah, I run a business. Here's my card. So that's how it began. And with the name Boogles, that has been my, my email address, which is Boogles B at yahoo um that's been my email address probably since i, don't know, I think 1995 i think mm. that's when i first got an email address and because i like boogles the name and it's kind of my street name miss mm. boogles and i thought yeah that's what i call my company this is way before google 
that's what I call my company and I, I like the name because it didn't mean anything I was taking my inspiration a little bit from Richard Branson because I didn't want it to mean something I wanted Boogles and it's it, Boogles doesn't have to be it, it you can lend it to any industry any business any product and I like that idea because I was never intending to be pigeonholed into one thing so you effectively wanted a name very much like Virgin yes. to be the banner Yes. For any project that you had. Absolutely. Any other, any other venture, I could still call it Google. Now, we're going back a bit, and we're going, you mentioned pre-Google. Yeah. Now, most people cannot imagine a life pre-Google. <laughs> yeah. And the key thing is for many people who hopefully are listening to this, and who are um, maybe startups or maybe in the process of growing their business, People don't necessarily understand how easy it is, literally, today. to form a company. Yeah. Today. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I did this uh, as a, an experiment because I wanted to form an alternative company the other day. And it was just as simple as just getting online, filling in a form, yeah. paying £15. Yes. And literally, if you haven't made any mistakes, within 15, 20 minutes, you've got a company. That's right. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, but time, times have changed a lot because, interestingly, when I did my degree, which was in accounts and marketing, there was no such thing as online marketing. So, it, you know, now you could have a whole degree in itself in just marketing ma- methods and strategies using online tools. So Google has just been a game changer, just and all these new sort of social media platforms, things like Facebook, Twitter... Pinterest, Periscope, they're all coming out. These things just didn't exist. Mm. And the beauty of all of these platforms is that they're accessible, it's global, by and large they're free. The normal human being can get on these things, promote their business, and it, it, it's been been really... It's, it's been transformational, really. So it's, you know, if I had that underwear business now... You know, I'd be selling to people all over the world. Yeah. How did you get your first clients? How did you get those people in? Well, interestingly, interestingly enough, so at the time, like, I talked about soft skills and courses I was doing. So I was doing a language course. I was learning French, I think it was, at the time at Mary Ward Centre. And they used to have a notice board where if you paid 25p a week, you could put your notice up there. So I thought, okay, I'm you know, obviously just done my degree in, it was in accounts and marketing, so I'm using both my skill sets here. And I thought, right, I will do some some marketing. So I, I'm trying to think what I used. I think I just literally got a Word document and designed a little poster for myself. I remember being at home and testing it with my mate and my mum to say which one do you like most and they like the little one with a calculator so it was a picture of a hand over a calculator like it was typing a number out and I created it and it said bookkeeping service I think it was something like 13 pounds an hour sales ledger purchase ledger bank rec users sage quickbooks excel and then um, my name contact details and stuck it on the notice board and I paid a pound, so it was for four weeks. And I'd go and make sure any time I was in the building, in the college, that my notice was still there to make sure I was getting my money's worth. 
Lo and behold, I look on this notice board and there is an advert, exactly the same, right down to the calculator with the hands uh, typing on the calculator saying bookkeeping service, sales ledger, purchase ledger, bank rec, literally word for word. I, I am not exaggerating. Back then, we didn't have um, cameras on our phones. I would have taken a picture of it and tweeted it if it was today. (laughs) So um, I took down the the details on this card and I contacted this person. And basically, I said, yeah, um, saw your advert right next to mine. And I like the way you ripped it off. Literally, word for word, right down to the picture. And then the person replied, lady replied, and was like, oh, yeah. I th- maybe I've, I spoke to her. So, yeah, you know, um, I thought your advert was so good, I just couldn't improve on it. So, I hope you don't mind. So, I'm like, well, you know, I, I did mind, but I just said to her, yeah, well, never mind. So, our two adverts are up there. And then, it must have been a week or two later after that, she rings me and says, oh, Lisa, I have found a full-time job now, so I'm not looking, you know, for any bookkeeping work again, but I know a man who is, um, can I introduce you to him? So I said, sure, because I hadn't been horrible to her or anything like that, and I think maybe deep down she, she knew she was kind of out of order, but she had a job, so she'd found a job, so she didn't need the bookkeeping work. So this guy turns out to be a Jewish property millionaire. So my very first client, I remember the meeting, went in, showed him my catalogue of certificates, because I'm an overachiever, let's say, I've got loads of certificates. And um, he, me and him, we got on, and I would say we served him with bookkeeping services for a good maybe six or seven years. And um, at the time, it was a nice little job. I used to get about £200 a day. Nice little job. And it was relaxed, lovely in Chalk Farm. Really nice. And the um, his accountant at the time um, was sitting in, in the meeting because he kind of like was the one interviewing me. And that accountant, to this day, me and him are good friends. He's a Gemini like me. And I refer him work and he refers me work too. So... Um, he has introduced me to some amazing clients over the years so that one 25p postcard um, you know then the connection with the lady and then it was the lady's connection maybe I think she might have been Jewish too so maybe they went to the same synagogue or through some network there and that's how I got introduced and that was one of the best clients I've ever had in my whole entire life so, you know, you just never know what might happen. And, you know, as a result of that, I always say to people, you know, you've got to be in the game long enough to see the results. So, you know, maybe that lady could have been his bookkeeper and who knows what could have happened, but she wanted to have a job. So one thing I would always say to people is that although you might put yourself out there to be self-employed, just know whether it is you want, that's what you really want or whether really it is you just want a job. Yeah. You're listening to The Cash Flow Show. Because there is a clear distinction, I think, and we've discussed this previously, that a lot of people are not necessarily cut out for the actual idea of self-employment. Absolutely. And oh. in doing so, take on an opinion or an, an approach to life that is completely unrealistic. Yeah. And that approach to life, it, at the same time as being unrealistic, is just unsustainable unsustainable it's just unsustainable so i can see why she wanted to probably bail out yeah but obviously that gave you the opportunity absolutely so that 25p was your best investment ever what's your worst investment oh gosh (laughs) 
well, while you think about that, I'll yeah. tell you what the worst investment was for me. Yeah. I remember when I started, I decided that, right, I'm going to join the London Chamber of Commerce. And I felt okay. cool. I, I was cooler than cool. <laughs> I was cooler than Denzel Washington in, in any movie. <laughs> you know, I was so cool. I was cool. I was scared of myself. I was that cool. <laughs> but I was also being completely unrealistic. So I joined up with the Chamber of Commerce and then I found myself in a position where I've got to laugh about this. I decided that I was going to put an ad in their, in their magazine. Beautiful magazine it was. And, you know, all these great people in there and so on and so forth. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to put one ad in and this phone will ring off the hook. Yeah. I'm still waiting for that phone to ring now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting. I mean, that cost me a lot of money at the time. It cost me about nearly 1,500 quid. Wow. And that was for, damn, 14 years ago. Wow. 13, 14 years ago. When, you know, and that's when 1,500 quid was 1,500 quid. Absolutely. Have you managed to think of an idea of where you, your worst investment? Well, I think when it comes to advertising, I, the, I, because the, the business, it, it began on a shoestring, basically. It was £100 from um, my overdraft and £50 from my mum. And I've never had, you know, outside investment or anything like that. So... Any time we made any money, made any profit, it got um, invested back into the business mm -hmm. to buy m more stuff that the business needed. So I never really had the luxury to even experiment with an advert or anything like that that was really pricey because we just didn't have the funds. So uh, if anything, you know, uh, over the years it's been tough. We we've had to haggle, negotiate, swap services, get creative with the way things get done. And that's cost us time. It's taken longer than normal. But um, I just think sometimes, um, it, if anything, maybe where we've housed ourselves in terms of premises mm -hmm. hasn't worked out all the time because um, my learning is that it's best to be in some sort of serviced office. Even though I've been in a serviced office and had like four weeks notice that they're closing down and that was um a bit of a nightmare because we'd just put an advert ourselves into a magazine and the phone number that we were using wouldn't be ours by the time that magazine came out so i don't even know if anyone tried to ring me <laughs> and, and couldn't because you know it was far too late so if anything in terms of decisions it's like just choosing the wrong place to station ourselves and then you know a few months later oh the building is closing so then we you know and it's very disruptive when you have to move office mm. you've got to redo all your stationery redo your business cards and it's it's just stress you don't need definitely, definitely. i've moved offices more times than i've moved house <laughs> well <laughs> i can see that why that would be difficult but in in terms of where you Oh, and sometimes you've been in business for quite a while now, looking back retrospectively. Yeah. What have been your biggest challenges? I'd say, you know, getting paid from people, you know, particularly when you do bookkeeping, you, you dig people out of a mess and then they want to turn around and not pay you or getting one of their own staff. They want to on the slide. Oh, can you show so-and-so what to do? Really, their plan is to get rid of you and have so-and-so do your, your work. So that's been um, 
a challenge mm. and also you know just in terms of working with other people when recruiting people there are people out there that say yes I can do this I can use this software I can use this and then we've learned over the years to give people a test and I've seen some absolutely shocking people try and use software and they've burst into tears and they've made all kinds of excuses and oh yeah it's been a while since I've used this software and I've sat there and looked at them and I thought my god if I sent you to a client just based on what you told me yes I can use let's say QuickBooks you can't use anything and you know that that has been the most shocking part of it the amount of people out there that you know claim they want to work but then you know can't last a week mm. that is the reality of business i mean the fact is is that your business can rise or fall depending on who you hire and yeah. who you work with especially when you're a service-based company and there's it's not just staffing but it's also like suppliers finding people who can do what they say they can do the amount of times over the years people have said to me i can build you a website and i'm so glad i never chose any of them in the end i learned the skill myself and now i can build a wordpress website this was better I, I think it's a good idea to have a grounding in what something is for example you know we're in a room here and somebody's painted it if you've never lifted a paintbrush you don't know how it's done what to expect and the results to expect yeah and the process it takes or whether or not you're being ripped off absolutely it's it's a very interesting concept how people look at getting other people to work for them because the problem is, unless you understand how a job is done, right, then there is very, very rarely that you can have take that critical eye as to work out whether or not it's been done properly. Yes. Yeah, or, or yeah. it's not being done at all. Yeah. So, what's been your biggest successes? I think the the first one definitely was when um, I won Young Entrepreneur of the Year. That was back um, with Precious Online in two thousand and seven, and that was like the first kind of recognition. Um, I never had in the business, um, say, what was that, like three years in, as to the work I was doing and, you know, the rate at which the business was growing. So that was a turning point for me because that was when I got in the office manager to help me out, when I was then able to start to step outside of the business and to be working on the business because I needed to put systems in place in order for the office manager to be able to do effectively the job I had been doing, which was all the admin. Mm. And what I realised is when she began, and that was doing like 25 hours a week, that was literally one day a week out of my life that and I used to have to stay up literally all night at least once a week in order to get everything done because I would run out of time every week and so getting in that person that kind of gave me back some of my time and gave me back some of my life so that was the, the biggest success in, in terms of making that realization because there'll still be people out there trying to do everything themselves not realizing that you know you're limiting the business growth if, if you do that that's very true. I think to a certain extent, the idea that you are a super person and yeah. you're doing this all yourself sounds very glamorous yeah. and sounds very romantic, for want of a better expression. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, the reality of it is, is that, and we've all done it, including myself. I, you know, I'm no, you know, I, I don't get away from this um, uh, covering glory. I, I, I've, I've made some major mistakes in respect to that. And the idea of nobody else is going to do it as well as mm. you. But sometimes you just have to give up those reins because yeah. you won't progress otherwise. Yeah. But the thing is, you've just got to, to give it to people 
who you genuinely trust yeah, and who, who can do it. And who are capable, absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, overall, you will end up um, giving yourself more headache. But I think I just feel very fortunate because I knew who I was looking for. And I remember <laughs> when the, this, the person rang me and from their voice, in my mind, I just thought, yeah, that's my person. So I was lucky there, but definitely having the wrong people around you just gives you more work. And I've known, and it's happened to me, and I've known other people, I've tried to employ people, take people on, and it's just turned out wrong. And you just have to go and firefight, clean up someone else's mess. And then you think to yourself, God, why did I do that? I'm never doing that again. And then you're back to square one, just doing everything yourself. So I do understand how difficult it can be. Now, the key thing that I want to ask you at the moment now is this. Now that you've got all that experience behind you, what would you do differently? Um, well, you see, doing the same kind of business today is slightly different due to all of this online activity that's going on. Okay. Whereas, I think back then, I might have maybe... I don't even want to say been a bit braver and I don't know got some money from somewhere and spent some money sooner because in the beginning you know, and even now you know I believe that the, the business should grow out of the profits it makes. Right. I don't want to be borrowing money in order to do something, but sometimes you have to borrow or invest or do in order to get things done. So you know, let's just say the website needed doing instead of delaying it for a year or two years if I had the money sooner I would have done certain things sooner that said without the experience it's very possible even if I'd have borrowed the money and done it and I've seen people do this it's just wasted because I remember you know one time someone saying to me oh I do websites and I said oh how much and they said five thousand pound now, there'd be someone out there that will pay them that £5,000, really thinking it's going to make a difference. But experience has taught me, yeah, you can have the nicest looking website in the world, but if no one finds it, then, you know, that's just £5,000 you've just, you know, spent for nothing in a way because no one's looking at your website. So sometimes you need the experience to know what you need to have and what you don't need to have. And so when when I think back and think, how would I do things differently... I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure because if I'd have done everything sooner, I wouldn't have had the experience, and it doesn't. It could just mean I would have just spent a lot of money and got nowhere because I just didn't have the the knowledge that I needed. So sometimes some things, just with time, with experience, you learn. And I think what I'm most grateful for is there's it's all the things that I didn't buy all the things you know all the over the years the amount of people the amount of times you've been sold to and I haven't bought <laughs> those are the times that you know I'm glad I never bought because they were just charlatans they were just salespeople. like where are they now you know but someone bought from them and whoever's bought from them is probably not in business now so the cash flow show in association with PRMS. <laughs> and uh, I did this exhibition and, you know, to all intents and purposes, it was a complete and utter disaster. The way it was run and the way it was dealt with was just, just wrong, 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 completely wrong. Yeah. And the guy who basically sold it to me was very much like, oh, this is going to be fantastic, this is going to be brilliant, yeah. and so on and so forth. And 
do you think, and, and, and this is what I learned from, from the whole episode, was how important gut instinct is to your business? Yeah, but sometimes, just with the best will in the world, you know, you you might just, it might just sound good, it, they sell it, they package it right, and you think, great, because just as you were saying that, I remember once um, having a stand at an exhibition, and I don't know um, how much I'd paid for it, but when I got there, it was like literally tumbleweed. <laughs> there was more exhibitors than there were actual people walking around the exhibition I have never before nor ever since seen something so empty in all my life and the organiser basically was so embarrassed he spent most of the time hiding um, in, in, in I don't know the toilet somewhere because we barely saw him and um, in the end the exhibitors we just had a chat amongst ourselves and there were two exhibitors who um, were from like the same like offering the same kind of service that shouldn't really have been there because they all should, we all should have been unique businesses and um, it, it was just, it was ridiculous I, you know but that guy's taken our money he never offered us a, a refund or a you know and even if he would have said all right come to the next one for free he never did another one and I don't really blame him because it was he just spent a long time getting the money from the exhibitors and not doing anything to get any traffic, any footfall through the door. It was absolutely ridiculous. I think what I find in terms of business, and especially when you're a newer business, mm. people are literally just very intense. Yeah. And I had a guy, he, he called me up yesterday, and he said, oh, and he made the first mistake. Yeah. He rung up, and he said, can I speak to Clay Coke, please? And I thought, Clay? <laughs> My name isn't Clay. My name's Clayton. And only the only people that call me Clay are people that are drunk. <laughs> that's it. And that's the only time it's acceptable. Very, very few people call me. So I knew, for example, that this yeah. is a guy that I'd never met, yeah. had nothing to do with. Yeah. But he was trying to tell me that his stock shares portfolio wanted me, you know, blah, blah. Would I be interested in all of this stuff? And he was there basically. I said, how did you get my details? Which is always a showstopper. Yes. How did you get my details? And obviously he got them from some um, uh, some database that he got. And we know cold calling from a database, but you're not going to get a lot of people. It is what it is. But it was the way that you feel that you're being sold to by people for a product that you genuinely don't want. That person has made a sale. Obviously in terms of what we do at PRMS is debt recovery. So what we do is that we deal with people who the salesman's made a sale, but the credit control and the accounts department is spending the rest of the time cleaning up the mess from the sale that should never have happened. Yes, yeah. And as I said, the same thing that you see all the time. Yeah. It's, it's um, amazing. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. And as far as I'm concerned, I think when you're being sold to, like, every time that you've been sold to, but you've managed to basically dodge that and swerve yes, that opportunity. Yes, yes, And I thought an exhibition would be great. I dropped my guard. Yes. But now, if you want to sell me something, you be this. It better be good. Yeah. Now, nowadays, I mean, I will just go to the exhibition and network in the exhibition. That's just <laughs> is what I'll do now. And um, it's just... Over the years, they, 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 and it's still, there's so many people that offer these great things and you just have to be really, really careful because one of the things that you have to realise is that, it, let's just say you do um, buy an exhibition space or 
space in any magazine and say it is a thousand pounds you have to make a thousand pounds clear profit just to get your money back and notice i said profit mm. not sale yeah. so you know you might have to make 1500 or 2000 pounds yeah. of a sale yeah. just to cover that one advert so you have to be very careful very careful no and i think people get drawn into that because yeah. in i'll come back to exhibitions again when you're dealing with exhibitions what happens is is that it's not just the exhibition it's the pens which everybody keeps stealing. Mm-hmm. It's the chocolates. Yeah. It's the sweet. Yeah. It's the literature. Yeah. It's the people you've got to help staff it. Yeah. It's the overnight stay. If it's if if it's in you're in London and they're in Newcastle or wherever it is. Absolutely, and it's the whole time, the whole day there can be yeah. quite draining. So it is, yeah. It's not just the exhibition on the day. It's all the lead up, and then the follow ups. You know, you've got yeah. a whole load of business cards or whatever. They need to be followed up. Yeah, exactly. But very tough situation to be in and there's only so much that you can do but I mean all of that sounds incredibly stressful so when you're away from all that what are your hobbies what do you do Um, to relax after the heavy business (laughs) I love travelling I do like to get about so um, I'm just on a mission at the moment to visit all the seven wonders of the world so um, I've done four so far, Mexico, done the pyramids in Egypt as well, did Taj Mahal and Machu Picchu in Peru. So I do like travelling, really do like travelling. I like learning languages, Spanish, French. I started um, Chinese, but I just, I need to go to China. So when I do the Great Wall of China, I'll <laughs> squeeze in a language course there whilst I'm out there. Um, I quite like yoga and meditation because I think, you know, you you have to especially when you run your own business you just need to have calm you know to be able to think clearly think straight and you know and you have to give yourself the break as well because because you're self-employed no one's going to say all right you know you've got to take your four weeks holiday this year and stuff you know i know business owners haven't been on holiday for years um and I, used, <laughs> I have a confession to make. <laughs> I used to be one, one of those people. <laughs> I hang my head in shame, in shame and despair. Yeah, it's you know, but uh, I've learned the error of my ways, yeah. and I'm. Uh, it's hard because I feel that to a certain extent, you've got to be able to step away and have that break that break because yeah. i think even though i can i actually i love to get to a holiday destination mm. but i hate traveling i need oh. some kind of teleportation kind of situation oh. going on because that that doesn't work for me for, for some strange reason i mean it's just the idea of holidays i'm thinking oh no and i hate airports because you everything's 50 milliliters 100 milliliters <laughs> i'm thinking no why are you doing this to me and my toilet bag weighs yeah. more than everything. I see people with these little suitcases and my toilet bag is bigger than the suitcase. <laughs> you know, I'm dreadful. I'm dreadful. So, but I have learned the error of my ways. <laughs> I'm saying this because certain people are listening. And so I've, I've learned the error of my ways and I've basically decided, you know, to try and take more breaks because I think you do need it. No, definitely. You do need it. Definitely. You do need it. So those are your main hobbies. Mm. So I, I, I've got some certain questions that I want to ask and that always seem that are really important to me mm-hmm. because it gives a good picture. If you go to somebody's house, mm. 
you can usually tell by the books they have, or back in the days when it was vinyl, yeah. and it was pure vinyl, <laughs> you could look through somebody's record collection and that would tell you everything you needed to know. So, I need to ask you, the first thing is, what's your favourite film and why? Right, I've got several, right, so I've got a few, um, but the, initially, the first one I would always say is Airplane. And if you've ever seen it, but that, that, the film's just hilarious. And I used to watch it, and I've still got the VHS tape. I actually need to go buy a DVD on it or something, or find it on YouTube. But it is, to me, the funniest film ever invented, ever. And when I was younger, I used to watch it literally every week. And every time I'd watch it, there'd be something else, some new little mad thing that I never saw the first time. <laughs> Even when I talk about it now, it's hilarious. So I, I like Airplane. Okay, cool. Have you seen it? No, I've seen it. I mean, Leslie Nielsen is amazing. But I suppose to a certain extent, I'm really weird when it comes to films. Okay. If I watch a film today, I can't watch it again tomorrow. Not even if it's really good? Even if it's really good. I have have to literally clean my memory bank and watch it again sometime again. Because there's certain films that I like. I'm not going to mention them because somebody may want to do a cash flow show on me. But the, the key thing is, is that... I don't want to see that film again, but with a piece of music, okay. I could listen to that again and again and again. But a film, okay. you know, your next one. Yeah, the other one um, is Avatar. And Avatar, I think, really resonated with me because I just remember thinking, my goodness, who sat down and thought of that film? Mm. Like, and could it be possible? And this is where the conspiracy theory theorist in me comes out. Where I think, is it possible that there could be some people walking and living amongst and around us right now that could be from another planet? And this is where I go really like, like might lose it a bit because you think, what if when some people go to sleep, they are actually waking up in another universe or another dimension or another reality, but in everyday life they're around us, looking just like us. So that kind of like made me think, wow. I just remember just thinking, wow, who thought of that film? So I just think for the whole um, kind of what is what, what the it, concept? Yeah, the concept, what it means, and you know, I'm a believer. They and I say they, whoever they are, but I think there's a lot in films these days that are um, giving us messages. You know, they call it hidden in plain sight, like that you know make you think wow maybe this could actually be possible because who sits there and thinks of that and they always say you know if it's possible to think it whatever the mind can perceive it can achieve so maybe you know it's out there somewhere there is a concept that with like native american people say that when you go to sleep you live your real life well you know you're in your dream state or whatever yeah. so maybe that's the possibility yeah yeah so okay. it just that kind the whole thing has kind of blew my mind mm. Um, and Django Unchained. Okay. To me, that film was so amazing, I actually went out and bought the DVD, and I really buy DVDs, and I lent it out to so many people, and I I could talk Django all day, but for me, you know, it was just such an amazing film, because I just thought, who, again, sat and thought of a film like that? Or any of our... And I don't know whether I'd even call it a slave film. I'm not even sure if it's more like a freedom film or like almost like a, a romance love story. Different ways you can describe it. But to me, it's just like, what an amazing... Who thought of that? Like, what an amazing piece of... And there's, there's so much 
nuances and you know so many on so many different levels on that film on youtube there's a, a video called Jang, um, Django decoded i think it is yeah. and it's like an hour hour and a half of just and look at this in the film and look at that in the film and a deconstruction yeah, of the whole thing you there's so many levels that you just think wow i didn't even notice that before and oh yeah and just but, but are you a Quentin Tarantino fan? Because obviously it's, he's the director. Yeah. some I've been asked that before and I wouldn't say particularly no. But, you know, I just think that it, it was a good film. Yes, it was gory, but it was still a, a good film. And there was some laughs in it, like the Ku Klux Klan part mm. where they couldn't see out their hoods because the eye sockets weren't big enough. And then they, you know, are arguing about who made these hoods. It was funny, but <laughs> it was... I just thought it was a really good film. Yeah. And my final one is Wizard of Oz. Okay. Because I just, I like the songs. And again, that's another one when I was younger, I'd watch it over and over again. And I've been to like this talk called Wizard of Oz, um, The Breakdown or something like that. It's a guy who does talks on um, different films, Planet of the Apes, other ones. And he broke down Wizard of Oz and it was just fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And I think the whole story with that is just, you know, we're, we're in search of all these different things that we think we, we're not whereas when Dorothy ends up and finds the wizard you know it's even like even the wizard isn't what you think he is exactly so it's all smoke and mirrors yeah. and in many ways that's what life is all about you know you, you've got to find that courage within like the scarecrow and all the, or, or um, no the lion he was the, the one yeah. who had the courage um, the scarecrow he had the brains he didn't think he did but he did so it's it's all I don't know about believing in yourself really it's very quiet lots of metaphors mm. in The Wizard of Oz okay and obviously films are obviously very important to you now we're going to move across to books your favourite book and why um, okay I've got two so one is called The Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier Okay. Uh, that's a, a tell us what that's about. That's a like a little novel. I read it when I was in America. I just happened to um I didn't know anything about her about the book, but I was working in America for the summer. I joined the library because that's the kind of thing I do. Then <laughs> <laughs> got books out, and then I read the book, and the, the the book was amazing. It was um about a girl who basically she's from the age of fourteen probably to like twenty one. Her life, how who how she ends up um getting busted for drugs do you know what it was almost like if you've ever watched empire cookie it's like imagine her life from the age of 14 to when she got locked up imagine the madness that would have gone on in her life and this book read like that it, it was like that and you it was a page turner and you'd read it and you just think my gosh and to the, to me the way it was written this author eva has and a fantastic imagination or half of that stuff has happened to her. Yeah. So it just... And who is Sister Soldier? Because there's obviously people yeah. listening that don't know who I, Sister Soldier I is. I don't know that much about her, but my understanding is she's she's a black American and I think she um, maybe does poetry. And maybe she was a bit more vocal and active perhaps in the 90s. I don't know if she at any time released a song or anything, yeah. but... Um, don't hear too much about her now, but just that book will just forever stay with me because it, it was just quite graphic and just amazing. And then um, the other book is um, the, the Richest Man in Babylon because for me, it's, it's a very simple but timeless classic. And it talks about 
very easy book to read you probably read it in like an hour and the richest man in babylon is basically a little story of a man who is in egypt and it starts off with him and his friend um doing a carving or something and they're chipping away at this carving in the hot egyptian sun and then in um as they look out they see the richest man in babylon float on by in a carriage with his um water bearers and someone fanning in and stuff like that and one guy turns to the other and says look at us here we are sweating it out in the hot egyptian sun working our working hard <laughs> working hard excellent well, brilliant diplomacy <laughs> working hard and you know if we don't get this this carving done we're not getting paid but look at this guy in his chariot doing nothing with like 50 people all around him running around to his every need what is he doing that we're not doing what's going on here and that's what the book is all about and the richest man in babylon basically is um, seven things that you you need to understand about money and how money works and one of those things it says in that book is the importance of paying yourself first and it's a little bit like what robert kiyosaki says you've got to pay yourself first mm. that's step number one and this is why cash flow is so important mm. Was that your business book or did you have a business well, book? Well, the, the, the business book really is is the Rich Dad, Poor Dad um, book. Because um, The Richest Man in Babylon, to me, isn't a business book. It's more, almost like a metaphor for life. But, but Is it like something you get out of the Bible, really, to a certain extent? No, not really. Although the Bible does talk about tithing and paying 10% to, to the church. And... Um, one of the things that the richest man in Babylon says is yeah tithing but also make a tithe to yourself mm. you know pay yourself first um, but it doesn't really talk about business actually it just talks about this is how you should manage your money right. um, and the importance of always ups, um, upping your skills so that you can then demand more for your for money for what you do that kind of thing so no. just good things Rich Dad, Poor Dad, obviously, you, you, you would have slotted that in as your favourite business Business book, yeah. Now, I'm fascinated by that book, and I've never read it. Haven't you? I've got no intention of reading it. Clayton, I remember sending you a CD. <laughs> yeah. And you sent it back to me. And I don't even think you had a chance to listen to it. And that was with Robert Kiyosaki. Do you know what And I that think, was probably about ten years ago. Do you know what I think about Robert Kiyosaki? I think Robert Kiyosaki is a guy who... Excuse me. I would like to say, in terms of Robert Kiyosaki, how many people have actually benefited from what he's actually said? And do you know the reason why I say this? Because there was a TV programme the other day, um, uh, about two years ago. I say it wasn't the other day, really, but it was some time ago. <laughs> and this lady, and she stuck out of all these people that had you know, read these books. Yes. And what I think is that people read the book, but they don't actually apply yes. what it is to their life. So they've yeah. got the book. Yeah. Reading books is great, but I think you can get knowledge from anything. I've learned so much from so many different people. And yeah. What I say is, is that with the Robert Kiyosaki thing, there's this one woman, she signed up to his course. And the course has been held in Barbados. I might have told you this story. No, and she, the course has been held in Barbados. She's, she got an inheritance, which must have been about 10 grand or something. But it was quite a sizable money because she course, didn't have it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She took seven and a half grand to go on Robert Kiyosaki's course in Barbados, mm-hmm. letting herself go, whooping it up, drinking Mount Gay rum. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Living it large, comes right back back from Barbados, still in exactly the same position that she left, even though she was going out there to seek knowledge. Well, that, that wasn't really a holiday. That was a, you know, it would have been a course that she'd done of some sort. But you see, 
my belief... But she turned it into Arna Daniel. Yeah, well, yeah, but, yeah, but my, my belief is that, you know, and I'm a reader anyway, I enjoy reading books, and the thing is, I'll always take notes from books, and I'm the kind of person who will take action, and not everyone is like that, and... The thing, what I think with, with the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book is that if you read it, the thing, you can't say you didn't know. And even if you take no action, ignorance is no longer bliss. Mm-hmm. You, you just know that that isn't the way. And to me, I, I can only say, I've never met the guy. I'd love to meet him. He's on my famous person I'd love to meet list. But he, to me, really changed my life in the sense that just reading his books seen him on Oprah at that time and I remember the penny just dropped for me when he was saying you've got to pay yourself first and you can probably get this clip on um on YouTube mm-hmm. this fireman he stood up and said I just don't get it how can I pay myself first I've got um, bill collectors at my door <laughs> and you know I've got people I've got to pay and they're going to be on my case and if I don't pay them you know they'll I don't know take me to court and you know and then I'll lose my house and you know I just I can't I can't do that and I remember Kiyosaki just saying look mate just pay yourself first and you will find a way to pay everybody else believe me and I thought you know what he's right because when these bill collectors are knocking at your door and you owe people money you'll find some money to pay them you really will so you know but you you have got to take action and one of the things Kiyosaki which stuck to me always said is about being financially free and he says it's when you're passive income that's the cash you get in that you don't have to work for when that passive income is more than your expenses then you are financially free because it means you don't have to work for money and his thing was always don't work for money have money work for you so that lady who took that 10 grand she probably gone out bought a house (laughs) got some rent off the house and worked like that and not gone to sit down to be inspired and not do anything so you know correct and she could have bought a couple of seven eight nine ninety nine books of kiyosake learned that and you know done exactly that. but she wanted to me as far as i was concerned she was sat there like a complete lemon at the end of it and it achieved nothing yeah so very interesting but sometimes unfortunately with these courses and this is back to the thing about you know um getting done by salespeople is that they're very good at yes you know you'll learn this you'll learn that and all the rest of it and then when you get on that course and this is they do this in property they do it in stock investing doing all kinds of things you do the course and then at the end of that course there's another course to do and they just try and upsell you again so sometimes it's a little bit bit like that and this is the unfortunate thing because people go on these things wanting to better themselves wanting to be better and then you just they just take your money and run mm. yeah well i remember actually with the very first client because he was a property investor at the time i don't know i got on some mailing list myself like you clayton they contact me like whether buy wine buy this buy that and um, this one was called inside track and it was all about property and you know property was the flavor of the month and i remember reading the this like brochure thing and the way it was written i remember thinking this copyright is absolutely amazing because what it's saying is something like you know do you want to be 
old and sitting next to a one bar gas fire huddling around it to try and stay warm because you you know you really can't afford the the heating bill that's coming on and stuff like that it really painted a really scary cold horrible image of old age and then it said oh do you want to take action now and come on our you know property course and learn how to be a property millionaire and blah 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 and i remember showing the the client this at the time says oh look at this you know Tickets were about £1,200. And, um, you know, but you learn how to be a property investor. You can be financially free and millionaire in five years and stuff like that. And then, I don't know, several years later, I read in the newspaper, Inside Track has gone bust. I couldn't believe it. I think it was turning over about £100 million. But somehow, I don't know where the people's money had gone. I don't know what had happened, but no longer there. Do you know something? I had a lot of cases like that pass through my way in terms of debt recovery and people wanting to get their money back. And I always say to them one thing, business is governed, and this is the one thing that I say, business is governed by your gut instinct. If it feels wrong, it usually is wrong. And the fact is, is that there has got to be a certain level of work involved. Anything that it seems too easy, there's always a problem with it, whether it's going on one of these marketing courses or trying to sell drugs on the corner. You know, <laughs> if you know, there's there's gonna be some kind of payback. Yeah. Because then you can't really prove to yourself that you've made that work. You know that what you've done with Google's bookkeeping is essentially something that you've worked up from university right up to where you are now. Yeah. Whereas you know, somebody didn't just walk along and just say, "Hey, here's a company." Yeah. You know, do yeah. this. Yeah. And I think the problem is that when people have that expectation, that's where the difficulty lies. Yeah, but you know, we're living in a microwave society where everything's instant. And there's too many cases where people say, oh, you know, overnight success, instant this, and, you know, it's a 10-year overnight success kind of thing, you know. Yeah, of course. Speaking of overnight successes, what's your favourite album or single and why? <laughs> I, I don't have a favourite album, funnily enough. I don't even really re- recall really ever even buying one, but on my MP3 player, yeah. uh, looking at it and the songs I like, I quite like music by queen okay and my song at the moment is don't stop me now yeah quite like that one and um by bon jovi it's my life okay. so I'm, I'm into a bit of rock music at the moment right. i don't know what that says about me my personality but right now i'm just like fingers up to everyone i'm doing <laughs> this yeah i have to i have to say that i'm intrigued by that choice yeah. i have to say that i'm intrigued by it i mean don't stop me now is is a great song there's no two ways about it you know as far as the queen catalog is concerned at some point we could have a chart with all of these people that what everybody likes <laughs> yeah, the playlist definitely compilation on spotify who inspires you business-wise um robert kiyosaki yeah really does I would urge you to read his book later, seriously, (laughs) because he he just talks about gaining financial freedom. And for me, I think what what draws me to him is the fact that his books are really easy to read. And he, I'd like to think, started off like me, you know, with nothing and just in a normal family, no silver spoon in his mouth, nothing like that. And anything he's had, anything he's done, he's built up and, and worked for it and that kind of uh, person I have admiration for. Yeah. So After being in business for quite a while, mm. what is your advice to anyone thinking of starting in business? Well, I would say just think about 
the the future and if your business has a future so you know i wouldn't i know everyone thinks oh yeah you know this is going to be around for a long time but just think of the longevity of your product or service and when building that business don't try and build a job try and do something that is going to be able to operate without you so don't build it around yourself so that if you want to um go away or you want to sell it or you know it's that's possible to do so i think too many people build it around themselves and then feel trapped so you don't want to feel trapped um i'd be looking at something that can give you passive income because well this is these i'm talking about my values now what's important to me but think about how your business can be scalable how it can give you um exponential growth and how more sales doesn't necessarily mean more hard work for you but that you know it's actually profitable Mm. and it's actually worthwhile because there's a lot of things out there that you can work really hard for and at the end of the day you just think you know what what was the point excellent excellent so now really moving forward what are your plans for the future of your business well, I've got a website called workersabookkeeper.com. So um, it's helping bookkeepers to find work as a bookkeeper, um, as well as expanding the bookkeeping business where we can. And then I have a book publishing company. So we're looking for authors who, so anyone out there thinking of um, writing a book of some sort, do take, take a look at the website, which is boogles.com. And that's boogles with a Z, B-O-O-G lez.com googles.com and we're looking looking for authors so um that that's what i'm doing more of i'm writing my books i've written probably about 20 books now and i I quite enjoy writing books my my role even within the bookkeeping business now is more doing the training and um my sort of little niche in in that is training on accounting systems so like quickbooks or zero and then writing books manuals software guides on different accounting packages and then providing training on that on that software so that's kind of like been my little niche so in terms of books books all throughout the conversation that we've had books have played a very important role in your life yeah i'm a big reader Mm. as well as writer Mm. i do i do enjoy writing i would say probably you know being a gemini ruling planet is mercury mercury's planet of communication so I, i like I like communicated um, okay. and writing for me has always been easy. One of the things when I was younger, I'd always have pen pals or when I was writing emails, people would be like, my God, Lisa, you know, your emails are so long. But for me, that was nothing. You know, I just get tapping away and you know, I could reel off an email. You know, it's easy. Yeah. So it's, it's enjoyable. So I uh, quite like that. Okay. And to close off for today, because we've been talking for a little while and uh, hopefully it, People have got a flavour of what you do at Boogles, what you've done in terms of your life, what in terms you've done in terms of growing your business, who's inspired you, and also at the end of the day, what you do in your spare time. So people may come up to you with, you know, um, links to MP3s of um, uh, of Queen songs. So, you know, you know, anything might happen. And I think that's always a good thing. People know a little bit about you. So people who have the same kind of tastes can then engage with you on a, on a networking event yes. and um, take you from there. But within reason, tell us something that no one knows about you. Um, 
Wow. I'm not doing what I don't need to do anything to expose yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I, at the moment, I want to learn how to ski. So I'm looking into that. I've never been skiing before. So that's just something I, I want to do. Okay. I will put it out there to the universe. <laughs> I'm sure I'll learn. That's something I've never wanted to do. Well, you know me, I can't even get on a holiday, so I don't have to ski. No, but what it is, is after doing Machu Picchu, where I um, was, was um, hiking and climbing and camping for like four days, it was in the great outdoors, it was in the mountains, it was lovely, away from Wi-Fi, you know, the birds are singing, no, no noise, no city noise, it was just clean, the air, peaceful, really nice. And I thought, you know what, I want to do more stuff outdoorsy. Um, not necessarily by the beach, because I'm not really a beach person, but mountains is all right. And I thought, well, skiing would be all right, because initially I thought, oh, it might be quite cold, but I've been told that it can actually get quite hot or quite warm, because you might be high up in the mountain and close to the sun as a result. So yeah. you can actually get a, a suntan whilst on a skiing holiday. So yeah. I thought, well, you know... Um, I do a bit of skating, a bit of roller skating in the park and stuff. So skiing, and you know, I want to do some. I like activity. I like keeping fit. Yeah. So you kind of combine the activity with the keeping fit. I'm not really a water sportsy kind of person. Mm -hmm. Tried surfing, but you know, I want to do something active. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Lisa Newton of Boogles Bookkeeping. Thank you very much. Thank you. We really appreciate you taking the time to be the premier person of our um, podcast. Finally, before we do let you go, it's good for people to know how to contact you and the businesses that you're involved in in case they want to look you up. So, yeah, about so those. the easiest way to get hold of me is via my website, which is lisanewton.co.uk. And on that, there's links to um, my various activities and projects and and email is lisa at lisanewton.co.uk Lisa, thank you for being our guest Thank you very much And thank you Lisa Newton of Boogles Bookkeeping for joining us here on the first of the Cashflow Show podcast We do appreciate you taking the time out of your time and energy to share your thoughts with us I'm Clayton and Coke and I'm your host for the Cashflow Show in association with PRMS Limited Thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you again Goodbye The Cashflow Show in association with PRMS.